Dear Sangha, let us uh, listen to Three Sound of the Bell and come back to our in-breath and out-breath. Come back to our stillness. We are sitting in the still water hall. The name itself is uh, to encourage us to practice coming home Establishing our concentration, establishing stillness so we can see and embrace what is happening here and accepting what is there outside of us. I listen, I listen. This wonderful sound of the bell brings me home to the here and now. And dear respected Thai in all of us, uh, dear beloved community, today is March the 30th in the year 2023. We are sitting in the Upper Hamlet in Plum Village Practice Center, and we are in our spring retreat. And today is the day of mindfulness. A day of mindfulness is an opportunity for all of us to, first of all, just to come together. Come together and sit, breathe, listen, chant, walk. And all of these activities is to continue to cultivate our seeds of mindfulness, our seeds of, of awareness, aware of our body, aware of our thoughts, and aware of each. These are our daily actions that we are producing. We all have aspiration to cultivate a more enlightened life, and that is why we are here, in order to water that uh, capacity in us, seeds of mindfulness and compassion in us.
it's, it's harder to do it alone. We may uh, start off by having initial motivation, but our habits are also very powerful. They, they drag us to return back to our negative thoughts, our negative habits, and habits that make us lose our, our joy and our happiness. Recently, uh, a brother asked me, uh, Brother Fapu, what is your practice and understanding of freedom? And I asked back to him, well, first tell me your, tell me your understanding of freedom. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you, you think about freedom? And this is a question I want to ask all of you. When we hear about freedom, what is it that, that comes up for us? And his brother smiled and he said, well, the first thing that comes up is, I get to do whatever I want. And I said, yes, most of us are brought up that way. We all have that, that wish, that hope, that we, we can grow up and do whatever we want, be whoever we aspire to be. But that concept, that view is, uh, is not very deep. It's a little bit shallow. It's a little bit selfish also. In the teachings of the Buddha, freedom is always freedom of something. We have to ask ourselves, what is it that we want to be free from? We're all sitting here. Are you free? Am I forcing you to listen to me? Or do you want to listen to me? <laughs> that is freedom. Do we recognize the freedom that we have? So for us, freedom is not something to grasp, to run after. But freedom is to recognize what are the knots, what are the chains that are pulling us away so that we are not able to be in the present moment. Freedom of suffering is a great practice. It's the first understanding that we all can touch and that what unites all of us is that all of us, no matter where we come from, what uh, social class we belong to, there is one universal truth is that we all will encounter, will experience suffering. And the teaching of the Buddha is to free us, to have a view to liberate us from suffering.
when we can be free from suffering, we don't only be free for ourselves, but we transform the suffering for our direct ancestors, direct community, and also we are transforming it for our future. In our practice of uh, the Plum Village tradition, we see ourselves as a river of continuation. We didn't suddenly, uh, from nothing, we, we appeared here. But we, thanks to the many conditions that have come together, we are present. And all of these conditions are also what has helped us to become who we are. The beautiful, talented qualities that we inherit from our direct uh, ancestors, our parents, going further, our grandparents, and on and on. And at the same time, our spiritual ancestors. And you know, friends are also spiritual teachers for us. So we are always intaking in new experience, new conditions, to make us who we are. And so we're always also changing. This is the nature of impermanence. And so when we can come home and recognize the stream of continuation, this may help us embrace and transform our seeds of alienation isolation, loneliness. This can be a freedom, a freedom that know, that tells us, teaches us that we are not an individual entity. But maybe because the way we have been cultivated by habits, we don't have that insight yet. We're not able to yet touch that even by maybe by sitting in a community like this, we can still be very lonely. And we have to use our mindfulness, the responsibility that we have is to shine the light of mindfulness and ask ourselves, where are the blockage? Where are we blocking off the connections? Sometimes uh, help and support is right in front of us. But because we don't know, and we are moved by our fear, maybe we, <clears throat> our trust have been damaged in the past. So we have a new layer, <clears throat> excuse me. We have a new layer of fear that makes it more difficult for us to connect, more difficult for us to open our heart. And so we lose a little bit of that freedom, that freedom of connection. 
And mindfulness is the first key for us to recognize that we have freedom. Freedom that, ah, I have this experience from the past. They touch fear in me. They touch the distrust in me. But with mindfulness, this is a new day. I vow to go through it in mindfulness. Can we begin anew with our new view? Can we give ourselves another opportunity? Can we give the ones in front of us an opportunity to be a friend, to be someone who can remind us of our goodness inside of us? Do we have the courage to look at our own narrowness and slowly reopen our heart reopen opportunities for us. Freedom comes with responsibility. We have to be the one that is responsible for our own freedom. We can say what we want, but there is consequences. Our words have impact. We've learned this. Our words have impact for us, first of all. It has a direct experience here when we produce a sentence. If it comes from a place of punishment, maybe at first it may feel a little bit good because there is such anger, there is such uh, pain that we want to also express so the other person feel pain like us. But after a while, there is a bitter taste. There is a sensation and a feeling that we have just contributed to more hatred, to more isolation. So if we use mindfulness and we have the insight that our words has such impact. We now have freedom to choose what to say, what not to say, and how to say. We can share about our pain, about our suffering, about something that is not correct. But what is the energy that we are bringing to what we are saying? And this is why our practice, freedom, also begins within us. When we have this freedom within us, nobody can take that away. And this freedom, this uh, practice of being free wherever you are, that is what our robe represents. Stepping into freedom. That is the practice every day. And when we touch freedom, it brings us great uh, joy, great stability, 
but that freedom can be taken away. The moment uh, we lose our mindfulness, we, we lose our concentration, we get pulled by our desire, that freedom is taken away. But as a practitioner, we don't become afraid of that. And we, we don't also get attached to that freedom. We don't say, oh, I want to go back to how it was yesterday. Then that is not living in the present moment. That is being caught by the experience of the past. But when we have experienced the inner freedom, that grows our trust and grows our faith, faith in our own practice, faith in our own ability. This faith here is not uh, a faith that is outside, that we prostrate to and we devote to. But this faith here is the faith that with the practice, we have fruits that we can enjoy. We have fruits that we can taste. I hope that in the last uh, seven days, while we are in Plum Village, we have been able to taste that stillness, that freedom. I very much enjoy uh, seeing uh, our friends, practitioners, um, sitting and doing nothing. We have a distance from the dining hall to the monk's resident, and every time I walk back and I see a friend sitting under the willow tree, under that little bridge, it brings me great joy. Just seeing someone sitting there, I don't know if he is free or if he is suffering, <laughs> but he's offering me freedom. He's offering me that it's possible to sit under a tree and do nothing and just enjoy the sounds of the birds, taking in what is present for us. That is a freedom. And each moment that we have is an opportunity for us to cultivate more freedom. Freedom in action. Even when we have so much things to do, we have a lot of uh, projects, a lot of uh, work, but there can be freedom in that. Freedom is also not doing nothing. Doing nothing is a gift, but if we, uh, if we allow ourselves to, to have uh, no motivation, no aspirations, also seeing that we are not contributing anything, we also lose the freedom of not doing. We may get into the habit of drowsiness, of uh, laziness. This laziness is not the lazy day, huh? That lazy day is a practice to learn to rest, 
to allow ourselves to not run after our habits of doing. But this laziness in one of the hindrances in Buddhism is like uh, having no, no energy, no aspiration, no will. But when you have a path, you have something that you are a part of, that you're contributing, is you, you're using your mindfulness and energy of thoughts, of speech, of cultivation, but we know that it's going to contribute to the well-being of our community, our society, then that livelihood, that action, that work, can give us so much freedom can offer us such energy. And that is also freedom. So freedom here is the freedom that allows us to touch our true nature, a true nature of love in us, a true nature of non-self in us. Because when we work and we do things like that, it is contributing to not just us, but to the so many people that is around us. There was uh, uh, one year when we were preparing to celebrate uh, 30 years of Plum Village, and uh, I was uh, Thay's uh, assistant, and I saw Thay's schedule every year was so packed. And I said, uh, we were in uh, the UK, we were in Nottingham at a retreat. And after our Dharma talk, uh, we have this little window of a break between uh, the Dharma talk and walking meditation. So we were in the break room. I turned to Thai and I said, Thai, next year, let's do less. Don't go on tour, Thai. Let's stay home and do nothing. Let's just enjoy retreats in Plum Village. Because Thai, 30 years, blood, sweat, and tears, so much, so much investment from you, uh, Sister Zhang Kaum, uh, Sister Zhang Duk, all of the elders before us have, have put the efforts, the work here. Why don't we just take a step back and enjoy our fruits? And I think it was tempting because Tai thought about it. <laughs> but then Tai turned to me and then he said, but that offers Tai joy. Retreats offer Tai joy. Touring offered Thay, Thay joy. Thay said, it's like, a, it's like a doctor who has discovered some uh, antidotes, some vitamins, some cures. It's too selfish to just keep for ourselves and to keep for our own community. It is our responsibility to practice boundless love. Wow. 
Yes, Thai. I am still very selfish. I need to practice more selflessness. And when Thai said that, his eyes were glowing. When he said, "But that offer Thai's joy. That is food for Thai." So in the doing, in the work, in the service, I saw how free Thai was. And it wasn't quote unquote work. And that is uh, a teaching for me. That is. That is one of my compass now. How do I continue to to serve, to do with that spirit, that spirit of boundless offering? Understanding is also freedom. I had a view, and I think that view was uh, a way to express my love to Thai, to tell Thai to do less. But uh, when I listened to Thai, I listened to his joy and his source of nourishment. I can understand Thai more, and that is love. So in love, we also have to listen. We have to hear what it is that offer our loved ones love, offers them energy, and offer them freedom. And I could have came back with a different argument. I could have said, "No, Tai, stay back. Love us. Don't love the world." We are your student too. We want we want to have more time with you, right? I could have I, I I could have very well came up with an argument. But in love there is understanding, and in love there is freedom, and in love there is also to see and how can I be a part of that? How can I be a part? Of your your freedom, how can I be a part of your joy? Or I can say, okay, Tai, that is your that is your joy, that is your love, that's you. I'll just be me. I'll do me because I am free to do whatever I want. But we have learned, and I have experienced directly that that kind of love. Is not true love, and that kind of freedom is not true freedom. Because then we cut off ourselves to experience, experience other people's joy and life. In our responsibility of love, 
is to see ourselves as the other person. Their work also somehow becomes our work. Their journey is also our journey. Their experience, their suffering is also our suffering. And their success is also our success. This is the antidote to jealousy and to pride. Somebody asked me, brother, how do you practice with pride? When pride comes up, he's like, I'm sure you have pride, brother. There's no way uh, you, you, there's no way that, that, that seed, that ego that we all have doesn't manifest for you monastics. I said, of course. But that pride is also an energy. And our practice here is not to push it away, is not to deny it, but is to recognize and then channel it to gratitude. Because everything that we're able to offer, we're able to create, we're able to share, teach, that doesn't belong to me. If I look into myself, if I remove my sangha, if I remove my brothers, my sister, if I remove my teacher, if I remove all the experience, suddenly I have nothing to offer. So when pride comes up, when success comes up, our practice is humility, but humility is not in denying, but humility is to share this merit, to share this success, to share this joy, this happiness, to all of the conditions that have come to offer to us these insight, these ability, and you channel it to gratitude. Every time this pride comes up for us, we join our palms, we offer gratitude to all the conditions that have come to giving us this moment of success. And in this way, we also don't become a victim to it. We don't become attached to it, attached to this title, attached to this one moment of success. And this is to practice freedom in success. If you become attached to it, you will try to protect it, and you have fear that someone will take it away. Someone else will become better than you. And then, and then, and then, and then you lose your freedom. You lose your opportunity to enjoy the fruits. Gratitude is freedom. Gratitude is a great source of happiness. When we are grateful for the conditions that we have, we don't take for granted what is in front of us. And we know how to live deeply those moments, these moments. And that is freedom.
Mindfulness is a source of freedom to be aware of our body, speech, and mind. Our emotions are part of us. What happens when we, when we allow an energy of anger to come up? We lose ourselves. We lose our freedom. So our practice as a practitioner is when anger is present, just like how we recognize our in-breath and out-breath, like how every time you hear the sound of the bell, that becomes automatic. Turn your anger into a bell of mindfulness. Every time anger is present, the first thing you do, come back to your breath. That is the inner bell. The emotion of anger now is a voice that is telling us to come home, to not do or say anything right away. Recognize that anger is present. Embrace it. Don't push it away. And in embracing it, you're bringing another energy up, an energy of mindfulness and you allow, allow the anger to bathe in your mindfulness of anger. Because now it's not just anger. It is mindfulness of anger. And when you're mindful of your anger, that mindfulness will penetrate into aware of what you want to say, what you want to do. And if what you want to say, what you want to do is to punish, then you have mindfulness of wanting to punish. And right mindfulness, right mindfulness is embedded with compassion and love. So right mindfulness would tell us, no, 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 don't say that, don't do that. That's going to create more anger. It will create more destruction. So now, with right mindfulness in embracing the anger, we have other choices. We may bow, we may excuse ourselves. Dear friend, I'm very emotional right now. I'll come back to you. Let me take care of my anger. That is responsibility. And I know this is not normal in society. But how can we shift and change this way of, of being? This is, my, this is the art of mindfulness that we are cultivating here. And what we truly believe should be taught and should be practiced in education of how to communicate, how to be, how to care for oneself, because in the oneself, it is caring for others. Because I, have, I am taking care of my anger so that I don't give you more anger. That is responsibility. But that is not to run away. I will come back to it. I will listen to 
I will listen to what you have to share to me. But in this moment, I cannot anymore. I'm going to explode. Mindfulness. And all of us who are teachers, are creators, are leaders, please be creative. How can we allow our self, our team, our student, our colleagues to have this awareness and this freedom? And this is to change the society. This is where it has impact. And so when anger comes up and mindfulness is present, what will naturally happen is our anger will also soothe and come back home to the seed, to this foundation of store consciousness. Because we're inviting another energy to come up. And we also have an opportunity is to recognize where does the source of anger come from? There are some things when we hear, some of us, we are triggered right away. And there are those who are not triggered by it. And it doesn't mean that they're not upset by it, but it's just they know how to channel their energies. And this is an exploration for us. Our anger has a source. And if we know and we recognize that source and we can transform it, we can embrace it. This is what we call transformation at the base. And the more we learn to, to take care of our anger, knowing the seat of our anger, knowing the source of it, it becomes weaker and weaker. And anger will never fully go away because that is one of our mental formation. So don't think that our practice is to get rid of it. Our practice is to transform it, embrace, acknowledge, and be free from it, freedom of our anger. So when anger manifests, you can be free from it. You're not pushing it away but you, are, you know what to do with your anger. That is freedom of anger. Recently in one of our uh, Bhikshu meeting, it was, it was very beautiful. There was a topic and there was a lot of, uh, there was excitement and there was also emotion. And one of our brother in his sharing, um, there was emotions that was, uh, uh, being carried with it. And as a Sangha, we listen. Some of us, we smile. We know that it's a, it's a, there is a lot of emotion right now in the sharing, but we're not pushing it away. And that brother, with the awareness that everyone is listening to him, also acknowledge that he is very emotional right now. And when he ended, he said, Dear Sangha, uh, I know I'm very emotional right now, but because this topic to me is very, has been in my heart for a long time. And that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful space. 
And that is right mindfulness to acknowledge that I'm very emotional and the way I'm sharing has an impact. And he didn't allow it to go further than just being passionate about it, not allowing it to, to become uh, a power, a fight, or an argument. From passion, it can become all of those. And if, if you don't agree with me, okay, we have trouble. <laughs> so our, our collective energy in a setting like that, when everyone is listening, also allows that person to be more aware of what he or she is saying. And he or she also has the responsibility to be aware of what energy they are offering in that, in that space. That is freedom also. We have to share so that we also offer freedom for others to share. I'm sure we've all been in a circle where somebody overtakes the space. And in that sharing, we don't offer freedom. We offer just a view and just a, a, a power, but it doesn't offer others to feel like they are a part of this circle. So freedom is a very deep and open contemplation. And freedom can be practiced in every setting. As a practitioner, we also have to ask ourselves, uh, am I walking the path of, that is leading me towards enlightenment? Recently, uh, uh, a student um, in, in a class that I am uh, sharing asked me, brother, um, in the last uh, 10 classes, um, not much have been spoken about enlightenment. And maybe because we're just young students, and this is a school, this is a school. Um, and, and the age is from 19 to 24. So he said, maybe because we're young and you feel like we're not ready for it. And I, and I smile and I said, no. Everything that we have been talking about is about enlightenment. Mindfulness is enlightenment. But we have this perception that enlightenment is, is a moment that we sit under and we have a big realization and, the, and the, there starts to be thunder and the sky shakes and the earth also shakes and it acknowledges our enlightenment. Maybe that did happen for our, our root teacher, Siddhartha, when he became the Buddha. But enlightenment has to be understood just how we explain freedom. Enlightenment is also enlightenment of something. We have to practice to have the baby enlightenment first. Did you know that everything that we have been experiencing and we have been implementing is for us to touch the freedom and enlightenment. 
when you are eating a meal, your, your morning oatmeal, and you are fully there for your oatmeal, and you're in touch with it, you have gratitude, you can, you can have interbeing in that moment, that the, the whole cosmos have come together for me to have a bowl of oatmeal. That is enlightenment. You are fully present. But then we lose it right away. What, what is next? What is next on the schedule? <laughs> what is my next project? Oh, I still have things I need to care for, habits, suffering. And so we lose, we lose these moments of, of awareness. So enlightenment for us is also not an individual matter. Freedom is not an individual matter. Because in true enlightenment, we touch non-self. So we can say, if we, if we think that freedom is to do whatever we want, then that is still selfish. That still has the complexes of inferiority, equality, and superiority. But our deepest teaching that we are practicing and we chant at least one time a week, the Heart Sutra, to, to water the seed of non-self in us, of deep interbeing. You know, there was a song um, that uh, assisted uh, in, in, uh, in Plum Village, and it goes, uh, I am so free because I can be me. Da, 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 da. And, and I don't remember the rest of the lyrics. <laughs> but you know, when Tai heard that song, Tai said, no, it's missing something. I can be free because I can be me. So Tai said, well, that is not full freedom yet. That still has the self in it. Because I can be me, but who is me? If you remove also all these other elements, then you are not you. So Tai was saying that this song is still missing the insight of interbeing in it. I don't remember the rest of the lyrics, so I don't know if it, <laughs> if it carries that, uh, that spirit. But I, I remember Tai's first reaction when he heard that, uh, that first line. Because Tai said then that we, we feel that we are not us. We're not allowed to be who we are. So I can only be free when I am us. But our deep practice is to see the non-you element in you. Just like Thay said, Buddhism is made of non-Buddhist element. So even in Buddhism, we have to practice freedom. We have to see the non-Buddhist element. And that is for us to not become dogmatic. 
We should not fight, kill, or die for even Buddhist teaching, but we should be free from it because the Buddhist teaching is to help us be free. Coming home to ourself is a continuous practice. It's a first Dhamma seal in Plum Village. I have arrived, I am home. That home is where no one can take that freedom from us. And coming home to ourself is to allow us to see ourselves more clearly, to accept ourselves. When we accept ourselves, we accept all of our flaws, we accept all of our complexes, and we also see the opportunities that we can continue to cultivate in us. Because we are made of non-us element, so we have many opportunities to cultivate seeds that have not yet had a chance to manifest but it is all there. Do not compete with ourself. Sometimes we try to become a better person, this concept. In the new market of mindfulness, <laughs> mindfulness is a huge market now. There's so many apps, there's so many investments. But this is, in a way, also giving us um, a desire to become a better person. But who is that better person? For me, when we practice, first of all, meditation is not a competition. We're not here to compete to see who can sit more still who can be more mindful, who can be more loving. We're not here to run after that, but here it is to touch and awaken that seed in all of us. When I see someone transform and become a solid practitioner and becomes a refuge for myself and for others, I don't get jealous. I don't try to compete, but I celebrate and I get inspired and I get, uh, we call this, uh, we, we, that seed in us get watered by their presence, by their teaching presence. And mindfulness 
is allowing us to come home, to accept, and to grow. When we are having the seed to run after, to compete against ourselves, that is still superiority and inferiority. But in our insight of practice, we always use plants and trees as a metaphor. It's because the, the nature of the tree and of the plant has insight. They know when to grow, how to grow, when to withdraw, when to let go of the leaf, like autumn, when to hibernate, hibernate, when to hibernate. And so us as a, as a, as a practitioner, we also have to understand our strength, our weaknesses, our limits, our capacity. There are moments when we are going to bloom like a flower, when we can contribute to our loved ones, our community. But there are also moments when the autumn comes, we, we have to know how to limit our actions, take care of our capacity. And if need, we need to retreat. That's why we come here, right? <laughs> and for us, but this retreat, we have to, we, we can cultivate it for it to be mobile. Thai calls this the spiritual dimension, the mobile monastery that you can bring anywhere. And there are moments we have to also let go. We have to let go in order to continue to grow. And this insight can help us accept ourselves in moments when we feel lonely, we feel isolated. Very recently, after the rains retreat in Plum Village, uh, we were gifted uh, uh, 10 days of lazy. And uh, that becomes our freedom of how we want to cultivate our days, who we want to spend time with, uh, how much energy we want to give out, or if we want to just withdraw and take care of ourselves and be with ourselves. And uh, I decided for at least three days, I would uh, solo. And this is very new for me. I like to be around people. I, I like more to be, uh, uh, just to see people around. And on the first day, after lunch, I felt so lonely. And the seed of loneliness was so present. And I felt, I almost had guilt and shame come up. I said, from who? 20 years of practice? How can loneliness still be there? And in the distance, I hear brothers laughing, joy, enjoying tea together. I wanted to run there 
I wanted to run there and dive, <laughs> dive into this joy. But in that moment, I decided differently. I decided, I'm going to be with you, my dear loneliness. I am going to accept that I still have deep loneliness in me. I still have the feeling of separation in me. And I am embracing, acknowledging, and seeing its roots. And I had a chance to visit that seed of loneliness. My dear loneliness, where do you come from? And why are you manifesting right now? What are your conditions? And with mindfulness, I start to listen to it. You know, my loneliness told me, when we were young, when we came home from school, no one was there. And so on some days, school was very tough. We were bullied, we were made fun of, we felt inferior, or we felt lost. And at home, we we look for an acceptance, an embrace, and somebody just to tell us that you are enough. But that wasn't present. And in that moment, I touch a deep wound, a deep suffering, a deep loneliness, and I had insight the first insight is, ah, you still feel not enough. This is, what, this is what is manifesting for you. That's why you want to be with others, to be seen, to be heard. And that's why you are so drawn to that. Ah, I understand. And even deeper, I started to transform some unknown pain and maybe blame that I had towards my beloved parents. Where were you all this time? And maybe this is also why I told Tai, Tai, stay home with us. Don't go. Be there for us. And then I had a deeper understanding and a deeper connection. Mom and Dad, thank you. Thank you for working two jobs. Thank you for providing. And that was the only love that you can offer at that time because that was your limit. Even though you weren't there physically, but every time I came home, on the stove, there was two dishes, rice, soup, and one salty dish. And that was your presence. Oh, I see. 
that was your unconditional love that you can offer me in those circumstances. So suddenly, freedom was present. I was free in my space. I was free in being alone. And I was free from all these underneath current that was driving my loneliness, my emptiness, my void. And I wasn't competing with myself. Fapu, 20 years, how dare you feel lonely? But in this moment, withdrawal, sh- unleash those leaves of expectation of oneself and embrace the you now, the you that all. This emptiness is here, but now understanding is also here. So suddenly, that loneliness became a bell of mindfulness for me. It became my teacher in that moment. And I didn't listen to my habit. I didn't listen to my habit of running towards a safe zone. But this was also because I was aware that in this moment, I do have this capacity to sit with myself, to be with myself. Maybe three years ago, maybe not enough, not enough stability yet. And I need to be with my brothers and my sisters, my friends, so that that emptiness, that void, doesn't take over, or else I fall into uh, entertainment, I fall into uh, running away from it differently in different desires that come up. So I share with you very openly because I feel free from it. And I feel it can be a support for all of us, even those of us who have practiced for a long time. We may think and have this view and this perception that we're not allowed to to have moments of vulnerability or moments of, uh, of uh, suffering. But this is where the baby enlightenment continues to shine, to have the freedom, the awakening in these moments in order to entrust our own ability that we can be more freer every day. This is the faith we have to embed in ourselves, this capacity. We are already the Buddha because that seed is present. But Thay always say, but we are part-time Buddhas. (laughs) We are practicing to become more full-time. And we, we need the collective. And this is why for Thai, the Buddha is also in the Sangha. 
There's no perfection in a Sangha, in any communities. But in the community, if there is one member that knows how to sit, knows how to be mindful, knows how to listen, there is Buddha nature there. If there, we recite the words of the teachings of the Buddha in the sutra, in poetry, in chants, in music, and it awakens the seed of enlightenment in us, there is Buddha nature there. So even in the Sangha, when you practice into being, you can see the, the Buddha nature there. And you don't look for it in a person, in a statue, but it is a living, a living Sangha is the living Buddha. We, and a living bodhisattva, where we want to share this practice, we want to share this collective journey of well-being, this collective journey of transformation, accepting, and healing. There's still so much healing that we need to do for our, ourselves and our society. There are ancestral pain that are still so alive in us. We still suffer so deeply from discrimination, from racism. We fight each other. We push each other away because of this view of self. We are more superior. They are less. They are inferior. And all this undercurrent history of suffering is still there. But they can all be teachers and an antidote for us to awaken inside of us, awaken that love and that healing inside. That forgiveness that I shared in my story, I don't even feel like I need to tell it to my parents because already there is freedom in here. And I have to have gratitude to their journey. And so even in the practice, the healing and the transformation, sometimes it doesn't need to be spoken. It is already part of the joy and the happiness we have now the gratitude that we have now. And this is mindfulness of transformation, mindfulness of continuation. And this is the Dharma of interbeing, how we all are playing a part in this collective awakening. All of us is a part of it. You all are a part of this, this awakening, this unconditional love that we are generating. And when we feel we're not enough, remember, we're not alone. Remember, like the tree, there are moments we need to withdraw a little bit. We need to release the ego, release the activities, withdraw like the autumn nourish the root for spring 
to blossom again. I know we've been so lucky to see nature's symphony is rebirth in the trees. There's little buds everywhere in the, in the oak forests, in the trees, in the plants. And this is why nature is also a teacher in Zen. It's very organic and knows what to do. It has insight. It knows what it is. It knows when to blossom and when to let go also. Thank you, dear beloved Sangha. You are a great support for me on this path.